Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2. <clears throat> Praise the Lord. Romans chapter 2 verses 1 through 16. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. This is an awesome chapter in the Bible. <clears throat> Romans chapter 2, verses 1 through 16. <clears throat> Let me read that to you. Therefore thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judgest, for wherein thou judgest another, Thou condemnest thyself, for thou that judgest doest the same things. But we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth against them which commit such things. And thinkest thou this, O man, that judgest them which do such things, and doest the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God? Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness? And forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. But after thy hardness and impotent heart treasureth up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to every man according to his deeds, to them who by patient continuance and well doing seek for glory and honor and immortality eternal life but unto them that are contentious and do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness indignation and wrath tribulation and anguish upon every soul of man that doeth evil of the Jew first and also the Gentile but glory honor and peace to every man that worketh good to the Jew first and also to the Gentile for there is no respect of persons with God for as many as have sinned without law shall also perish without law. And as many as have sinned in law shall be judged by the law. For not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. For when the Gentiles which have not the law do by nature the things contained in the law, these having not the law are a law unto themselves which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another. In the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your awesome word today. Give you all the glory, the honor, the praise, dear God. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the truth. We thank you for your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Okay, that, <clears throat> that did help. We've got to do it a certain way around here, you know. I mean, certain buttons have to be turned on before the other buttons and all of that. So that does help. Praise God. Okay, Romans chapter 2. We're in a chapter here that is extremely important. Amen. I just want to to say this based on this chapter right here, that without holiness in your life, 
you, you can lay no claim to eternal life. Without holiness of life, you can lay no claim to eternal life. If your life is not a life of righteousness and holiness before God, then you cannot say that you have eternal life. Because redemption will produce holiness of life in you. If you don't have holiness of life, if your life doesn't demonstrate that you know the Lord, you don't have eternal life. And that's what this chapter is going to show you, all right? Number one, the first verse, let's look at it. Therefore thou art an excusable man, whosoever thou art that judgest, for wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself. For thou that judgest doest the same things. Now, in these chapters last week, we talked about justification. We talked about seven words that are linked to righteousness or justification. And the awesome good news that is in that message. That Jesus Christ provides justification or a right relationship with God. Amen. Through the finished work of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that is appropriated and applied in your life by the new birth. Having repented of your sin. Been baptized in Jesus' name for the remission of those sins. And having been filled with the Holy Ghost. What Jesus calls the new birth. That is how you appropriate that to your life. What he did on that cross. Do you understand that? Now, when you do that, then you come out from underneath God's wrath. But what you need to understand is this, is that if any time any of us, including this pastor, and I'm not preaching down to you, I'm telling you the Word of God. Including this pastor, if I allow sin to come in my life, the set judgment of God is automatically against me. There is a destructive force that comes with sin. Okay, that automatically takes place in my life. Even though I'm a born-again believer, anytime I set myself up against God, then that judgment of God, that set determined will, judgment of God against sin is automatically there. Okay? Now, understanding that is very important because whenever I am justified and I'm born again, then it's going to produce a life that proves it. See, it's not just profession of faith. That is where most churches are today, and that's where most pulpits are today, is that it's just a profession of faith. Just accept the Lord as your personal Savior, and you're going to heaven. That is a lie from hell. The Bible doesn't tell you that if you pro profess faith that you're going to heaven. You have to be born again. You have to be justified. And then true faith and true justification is going to be manifest in that life. If that person continues to live in sin, they do not have eternal life. That is a lie from hell. And it is a false security that is preached from pulpits today. And we'll see that as we look at this chapter. There are a lot more people on their way to hell didn't realize because they thought that by their good works or whatever and I'm not talking about good works producing salvation I'm talking about because you are a born-again believer that produces good works if you don't have good works in your life today 
then you're not born again. You understand? But if you're not born again and you're doing certain moral good things, that doesn't save you either. Do you understand? This is the word of the Lord I'm preaching to you today. And so what he starts out with is this. In, in the first chapter, he talked about the Gentiles. The unbelieving nations as a whole. And he talks about uh, three reasons in the first chapter why God's wrath comes on the nations. Number one is because they reject God. Number two, they rationalize. And number three, religion. Three reasons why God is going to pour out his wrath. Man rejects God, man rationalizes, and man goes for religion. All right, let me explain what I'm talking about. And we looked at this in the first chapter. The wrath of God abides upon that. Person rejects the Lord, then the wrath of God is already there. They're not waiting for the wrath of God to come. The wrath of God, the set judgment of God is already there on that life. Why? Because they rejected God. And then they rationalize, which means this, they try to justify themselves. And so God says that's the second reason why he pours out his wrath is because men go around, men go around and try to make themselves right on their own terms. They try to be right with God on their own terms. Okay. So they get in this self-justification and rationalize everything. All right, I'm a pretty good old guy, you know. Now I go to church once a year on Easter <laughs> or Christmas, you know. And so that makes me right with God and I'm on my way to heaven. You're deceived, my friend. You're going to bust hell right open. What you have done is you have justified yourself and rationalized things. To try to lift your own guilt. Okay. And then the third reason is because of religion. Now religion, it doesn't matter what denomination it is. It, it, you know, we think about religion. We think about Hinduism, Buddhism, whatever. You know, those false religions of the world. And that's, that, that was what he was talking about in the first chapter. But he's not just talking about Buddhism and, you know, all of those false pagan religions of the world. He's talking about a religious system. That can be a professing system that calls itself the church. So it can be Baptist. It can be Church of Christ. It can be Pentecostal. It can be Apostolic. It can be Lutheran. Catholic. Doesn't matter what you call it. Doesn't matter what title you put on it. Any religion that you think that, that can get you to heaven apart from being born again in Jesus Christ and living holy is not going to do it for you. So what religion is, then, is, is man's attempt to run from God. See, he starts out rejecting God. Then he justifies self, and that's man running away from God. And then he gets caught up in religion, and religion, all that is, is running from God. So it's not religion that I need. It's not religion that you need. It is the new birth that you need in a holy life. And we need a nature change. We don't need, you know, just to turn over a leaf. We don't need uh, just to make resolutions that we're going to get better. Are you kidding me? So religion, you could go to church all your life and still go to hell. Because Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, many will stand before him in that day saying, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Do many wonderful works, prophesy, cast out devils in your name? He said, depart from me, ye that work iniquity. I never even knew you. 
So you can be a preacher casting out demons. You can be doing good works. You understand? But Jesus, look at you on judgment day and say, depart from me, ye that work iniquity. I never even knew you. So I'm going to be truthful with you, all right? Because I love you enough to tell you the truth. I, <clears throat> I'm not going to stand up here and just try to soothe your conscience and make you feel good. I, I'm going to give you the word of the Lord, okay? And I'm going to try not to be personally offensive, but the word of God is going to offend some of you. Because the gospel is offensive. The cross is an offense. It offends people who want to reject God's way, justify self, and, get, and be religious. So the word of God is going to offend that. And I don't, I don't have any problem being the messenger of it. Okay? So that's the first chapter. And he's dealing with the nations of the world. Then he deals with certain moral people called the Jews. The Jewish people, unlike the nations, the nations as a whole, you know, Gentile nations, didn't have the Word of God. Okay? But the Jewish people as a nation were God's elect nation. God's people according to election. He elected them. He chose them. What he's going to show you here is this, though, that just because he elects you, election is no guarantee of redemption. Just because you're God's chosen people don't mean you're redeemed. See? And when he gets through with these two chapters and the third chapter, he's going to say, everybody stands condemned. The whole world is condemned. Which will cause the world to go to who? The only place they can get salvation, and that's to Jesus. They're going to run from their rejection. They're going to run from their rationalization, self-justification. They're going to run from religion, and they're going to run to Jesus and get born again. Okay? Because they're going to get full of despair. They're going to get sick and tired of religion. They're going to get sick and tired of trying to be good on their own. You understand what I'm trying to say? So that's going to drive them to the Lord. Now, in the second chapter, then we've got three other reasons why God is going to pour out His wrath, okay? And we'll talk to you. Number one, the first one is deeds. But He's dealing with the moral man, the man who carries his Bible to church, the man who goes to the synagogue if you were a Jewish man, okay? Or a church member, somebody that goes to church, got the Bible under hand, reads their Bible, goes to church, gives them their offerings, you know. All of that. And that is what he's talking about here. Now, just because we have the Bible today doesn't mean we're right with God. Do you understand? See, action, holiness, living it. If you're not living it, you're not saved. Do you understand these things? See, we get up and we can talk and we can profess with our mouth and we can quote the Bible left and right. But if we don't live it, if we don't have it, we're deceiving ourselves. So I'm going to tell you today, we've got to be sure about this. And I thank God that you came to church today. But you have got to be sure about this and not be deceived. Okay, I, yeah. So he talks about this moral man 
who has the Bible, but he says this man is inexcusable because he judges, for wherein thou judgest against another, thou condemnest thyself, for thou that judgest doest the same things. See, just because you have the Bible or a knowledge of the Word of God or because you go to church doesn't mean that you're living it. The focus here is are you living it? Are you doing it? Do you understand? Now he goes on and says, but we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth. God is going to judge this this stuff that goes forth today that says we're not going to preach judgment and, you know, God's not going to judge anybody and God loves everybody. Well, he does love everybody, but he's going to judge. And his wrath is already set in place. It's not something that's just coming in the future. It's already set against judgment. Do you understand that? And God is going to judge the moral man, the religious man, the church-going man, just as harshly, in fact, in fact, more harshly than he judges the nations who don't have his word. Let me put it to you this way. Judgment begins at the house of God. You know who God's going to judge? The heaviest? Those who knew the truth and did it not. So that spiritual opportunity, if you have the greater spiritual opportunity you have in this world is going to uh, bring a greater judgment upon you in the future. If you don't hear it, believe it, respond to it, and live it. You will walk in a greater judgment. That's why it is very dangerous to be an apostate. To come in and get born again and then walk out of the church. It's extremely dangerous. Because those people will have the greater judgment. And the Jew, because he had the Bible. He knew the commandments. He knew the covenants. He knew what God required. Because of that then he's going to receive the greater judgment because he didn't do what he knew. See? But he's walking around all smug, self-righteous, thinking, I'm on my way to heaven. And he is going to be the one that receives the greater judgment over, let's just put it this way, the African people out in the backwoods somewhere that have never heard the word of God. The Bible-toting man, the religious man, the church man, he's going to receive the greater judgment because he, heard, he had more than the pagan. You understand? But he's walking around because he knows the truth and he's judging the nations because they're not right with God. Well, he's not right with God. Okay? Because he's trying. Now, he's established in his life a system of good works. That basically is what false Judaism is today. You listen to any rabbi, and I've listened to many of them on television when they do interviews and things, and they're talking about religious subjects. You listen to any rabbi, if he's not a Messianic Jew, he's, he, if he's not a Jew that believes in the Messiah, Jesus Christ, you listen to him. Their whole focus is good works. That is the false Judaism of today, where they think that they can obtain salvation and right relationship with God Based on good works and hopefully at the end on judgment day, the scale of good outweighs the scale of bad. You listen to any rabbinic Jew today and that's exactly the way they talk. All right. But what Paul is going to do is say, you know what? (laughs) You need Jesus. There's only one way to be saved. Okay. The true Jewish faith 
is rooted in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And the New Testament interprets the Old Testament. Do you understand? Amen. That's true Jewish faith. It's, it has a Jewish basis in it. Amen. But Judaism is false. It's of the world. It's of this age. It's like any religious church system. Okay? That doesn't preach the truth. So this man is, is got the word, but the Bible says he doesn't do them. He does the same things the world does. Verse 2. But we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth against them which commit such things. So God is going to judge based on what? Truth. On the truth. On the truth. Do you believe that? And thinkest thou this, O man, that judgest them which do such things and doest the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God? The answer to that question is no. Just because we go to church, if we, if we live in sin, come on. I know you don't like to hear this, but if you want to be saved, you'll hear it. And I'll just step out and say this right now. If you are saved, you will hear it. If you're not saved, you won't hear this. Okay? But he's telling us here that there is going to be a judgment even on the religious man or woman. Verse 4, Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth to what? Repentance. See, people look at God, wonder why, well, God, why didn't you just step in? Why don't you judge that? Look at the evil that's in the world. Look at the evil that's in that person. Why doesn't God just come in here and just kill them? Why don't he just step in right now and judge the situation? Well, in a sense, he's already, his set judgment is already against it. But I'm talking about his divine intervention. Why does God just let things go, it seems like? Evil in the world. Well, number one, he's good. Listen, if God wasn't good and wasn't merciful and long-suffering, as soon as you and I came out of the womb, he'd have killed us. Because of his holiness. Because we're born in sin. You understand? I deserve to go to hell. I do. I deserve to go to hell. Okay? So that as soon as I came out of the womb, if God wanted to, he would have been justified in killing me right on the spot and sending me to hell. But you know why he didn't give me what I deserve? You know why he doesn't give me what I deserve now? Because of his long suffering, his mercy, his grace. That's why. But that doesn't mean that God is weak. God is not weak. God is powerful against sin. God is holy. God is righteous. In fact, he's angry with the wicked every day. He's full of fury. So God is not weak. And sometimes he's looked at as being weak because it seems like evil in people is allowed to continue. And you know, why didn't God step in and do something about it? You know why? Because he wants to give that person an opportunity to repent. It's not because he's weak. It's because he's given them an opportunity. You hear what I'm saying? Why didn't God kill you? Why didn't God kill me before I came into church and got born again? 
Why? He could have justified, man, in doing so. You know why? Because long-suffering and patient, waiting, giving me an opportunity to repent of my sins and, and to be born again. That's the goodness of God, not the weakness of God. The weakness of God is stronger than men. His weakness is you and me. He loves us. He loves us so much he's willing to die for us to take away this huge tornadic cloud of sin. I got a question for you. The Lord gave me this, showed me something. Do you think your own good works could stop a huge tornado, black tornado that's rolling towards you? You think your goodness, you think, okay, I'm a good guy. I'm going to stop that tornado right now. That tornado just come and just take you away, everything in its path, the power that is in that. Do you understand? Your goodness, your religion, your self-righteousness is not good enough to stop that black tornado coming. And you are not big enough to stop the tornado of sin and the destruction of sin in your life by your own goodness. It's impossible for you to stop a tornado. And it's impossible for you to stop the sin. It's impossible for you to stop the judgment. God's got to step in. And he steps in in his son. He dies on the cross. And he, he provides a way where he can put on our account righteousness that's the only way and then he dissipates the tornado of sin and removes the destruction of his wrath out of our life and only God can take the tornado away your own goodness can't do it you don't have the power to do it you're not good enough to do it you don't have the strength to do it it has to be done by God and then imputed on your account and come on and your sin has to be put on his account and that's when that big tornado of sin is taken away but you think about sins as little bitty things no big deal you know no problem this is sin sin is large man huge and only God can deal with it and so this righteous this moral man thinks that he's good enough you know to stop this big tornado of sin and destruction. He's not. Do you understand? And so he goes on. And, and this man, you know, despising the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering. Not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth to repentance. Well, I'm getting away with it, you know. That kind of attitude, you know. Look, God didn't kill me. You know. And I, I'm not born again. I'm not saved. And, all that, and God didn't do me in. Well, we showed you what his wrath was last, a few weeks ago. His wrath is not always when he comes in and just wipes you out. His wrath is not always, when, you know, taking your job away or your kids away or your cars away or whatever. That's not his wrath. We found out the wrath of God, that's not only his wrath. But we found out the wrath of God is when he lifts his hand off of you and lets you do what you want. If you can ever get to a place in your life where you can do what you want to and live in sin and not feel God's conviction in your life, then you have come under His wrath because He's lifted His hand off of you. He said, I'm through with that person. Do you understand? And I don't want God to leave me alone. So if God doesn't just bring the hammer down on me, it doesn't mean that I'm right with God. What he's doing is he's giving me an opportunity to get right. You need to thank God for that. Because, you know, this might not be real to you this morning, but I guarantee you if you die and you wake up in hell, it'll be real to you. 
I guarantee you it's going to mean business to you then, man. You see what I'm saying? So, yeah, I'm preaching to smug people today. <laughs> but anyway, the Bible's. how many of y'all thank God for his goodness? And his forbearance and his long-suffering. But do not misunderstand that. Do not misunderstand that. What that is is not he's weak. And that he's just, he's gonna love, he loves everybody. He's not going to judge anybody. What God is saying is this, is that is just your opportunity to repent. Okay? Now the Bible goes on and says this. But after the hardness and impotent heart, my heart and your heart is hard. That's why we've got to get a new heart. He takes the, the stony heart out of us and puts a heart of flesh in us. So you have to have a nature change. But the Bible talks about these hard-hearted and people who refuse to repent. What's happening to them is this. They are looking at God is, you know, he's weak. He's not stepping. He's not crushing me, you know. What that is, is God giving them an opportunity. But as long as they continue in this hard-hearted rejection of God, okay, what they are doing actually in their life is, watch what the Bible says. It says, they are treasuring up unto themselves wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. It's building up and it's building up and it's building up and it's building up. That's all it is. It's just temporarily <sighs> suspended so that you can get right. And if you don't get right, all that wrath that's been stored up, you'll face someday. Are you with me? Either you're sending your sin beforehand to be judged, put under the blood. Or your sins will follow you to the judgment. And all that wrath, every thought you've ever had, every bad word you've ever said, every bad thing you've ever done, for your whole life, on judgment day, you will have to give an account for it. And then God's wrath, the lake of fire, will be the results. So don't think that because, you know, you haven't been wiped out and killed immediately that, Everything is okay with, between you and God. It's an opportunity for you to get right. And if not, then that's what the Bible says is happening. That you are literally storing up wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. Amen? Who will render to every man according to his deeds? So... He's going to judge because of man's rejection of him. He's going to judge because man rationalizes. He's going to judge because man is in religion. He's going to judge men because of their deeds. Fourth reason, their deeds. Say deeds. And what he does first is he talks about the deeds of the righteous man. And then he talks about the deeds of the unrighteous man. And then he's going to talk about the deeds of the righteous man again. And we need to explain these to you. He is going to judge people based on their action. Not just what they say with their mouth, but their actions, their deeds. 
Now, he's going to give you a contrast between a true believer and an unbeliever. He said, this is what identifies a true believer, and this is what identifies an unbeliever. Okay? Verse 7, to them who by patient continuance, this is the identification of, a, of somebody who really is right with God, who's been made right with God and justified in the eyes of the Lord, born again. This is the proof that they have eternal life. These are the characteristics of a true believer. Now, look at me, church. How many of you people know that you got family members, you got friends, you got people in the world, and they all say, I'm a Christian? Very few people you come across out in that world in everyday life will tell you they're lost. Most everybody you come across, I go to church. You know, I'm a, I'm a this, I'm a that, I'm a this, I'm a that. And uh, so everybody, for the most part, will claim to be a Christian. Claim to be on their way to heaven, you know. And how many fu funerals are done? That, that preacher puts those people in heaven. And they're, they're not in heaven, my friend. Okay. Trying to be politically correct. But here's the thing. Watch this. Here is the proof of a true person who Jesus has made right with, with God. You with me? Yeah. Watch. Number one. But patient continuance in well-doing. Doing. Patient continuance. That means they don't quit. They keep on going. Somebody that comes in. Now listen. They can repent. I can baptize them in Jesus' name for the remission of their sins right here in this water. They can come up and be filled with the Holy Ghost and experience present salvation. But if they don't continue in that salvation... They don't have, okay, present salvation at the time of the new birth. But if they don't continue in salvation, they had past salvation. But what about right now? Am I saved today? Got saved personally. I got born again. Not, you know, I was raised in church all my life. But I really got born again at, at age 18, about 24 years ago or thereabouts. Fixing to be 25 years ago, okay? Now listen, are y'all with me here? Amen. 25 years ago, I got born again. It was real. It was genuine. But what if 10 years after walking with the Lord, I stopped? I'm not saved. Because it is not unconditional, eternal security with God. Because it is a patient when you talk about faith in the Bible, it's not a one-time experience. It's not a one-time act. Faith in the Bible is a continual patience, a patient continuance. It's ongoing. So you might have got saved 20 years ago. So what? Thank God for it. But are you saved today? That's the question. Are you saved today? And if you're saved today, and you're saved tomorrow, and you're saved the next day, and you keep continuing patiently in the faith, you know what? Then you will be saved. But that's where a lot of people miss it. They think, boy, I got born again. I'm on my way to heaven. And they stop walking with the Lord. 
They no longer manifest the doing aspect. They just profess it. It's not a reality. It's, there's no change. There's no difference. The question is about justification in this book of Romans. What difference does justification make? What difference did being, become righteousness with God make in my life? What change did it did, uh, took place in my life? You with me here? So we all need to ask ourselves the question, including the pastor sitting behind, standing behind the pulpit today. Am I saved today? Am I walking in the Spirit? Are you understanding these things? This is the Word of God. It's not just walking around professing, I'm saved, I'm saved. The Lord tells you the sign of a true believer is what? Patient continuance in well-doing. That is not what produced your salvation. But if you're really walking in biblical salvation and biblical faith, that's what biblical faith, true biblical faith is. It will produce a continuance in your life of well-doing. First evidence of a true believer. So I'm asking you today. You might have got born again. You might have even got baptized just name filled with the Holy Ghost. You know, that is born again. A month ago. Or a year ago. But are you, do you have this, the proof of a true believer? Are you continuing? It looks like, you know, most of you that are here today are. You're faithful. See, I thank God for somebody who gets born again, really gets born again, and I, you never see them miss church. They're there every time the doors are open. They're there. They're faithful. They're praying. They're reading the Word of God. They're, you know, they're full of the Spirit. Now, every once in a while you're going to miss church, but I'm talking about a lifestyle. People who hit and miss the house of God after they've come into the kingdom, that concerns me greatly. Because what I understand about that is maybe they think it's too hard or maybe they're, they're still wanting the world more than they want the God. And, you know, all these things stepping in. Or Yeah, come on. Now watch this. Or do you continue? I'm going to ask you a question. How many of y'all are going to continue to the very end? If you do, that's proof that you have genuinely been made righteous. You with me? Yeah. The next thing, the next proof that you are, we're talking about deeds here that prove you're righteous. The Bible says, seek for glory. Say glory. Patient continuance in well-doing, seek for glory. That person who is really Right with God is going to seek his whole life or her life is to live to glorify God. Their whole life. How can I glorify God in this? With me here? Glory. The glory of the Lord is their drive, their motivation. There's been a change. There's been a difference. They used to live for self. Self-glory, you know? But now their focus is the Lord. And so they seek to glorify the Lord continually. Continually. 
Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. And then not only do they seek to glorify him, but they seek glory in the sense that they live a life that eventually they will move into a place of glorification. See, I've got a goal, man, and that's ultimate bodily, bodily glorification. And not just dying and going to heaven. But I want to glorify God so that the Lord can manifest himself in me. So his glory can be seen in me. I want to live in such a way. That anything that hinders his, uh, the glory of the Lord appearing in me is removed out of my life. So. You with me here? He's good to you. And he's long suffering. And he's full of forbearance. Because he's given you a chance. He's given you an opportunity. You, we need to thank God for that. He could have killed us right out of the womb. Every one of us. And then he talks about, he goes on. And he says this, the next thing. And honor. Say honor. honor. Another proof of a believer is the honor. They seek to glorify the Lord. And they seek to honor him with their life. Are you, do you want to honor the Lord today? Praise God. I want to honor Him. Yeah, hallelujah. Now, you, you think it's an easy road? Yeah, come, on, come on, let me get with you here a minute. And I know people, boy, they're fired up about prayer. They're fired up about worship, you know, for a season. And all of a sudden, some little battle comes their way, and they're all down. You know what I'm saying? And I know we fight, man, we fight. My point is this. Is it's a war. And anybody that thinks that Christianity is just some passive thing, you know, you can just, no problem. You don't have to engage. You don't have to be violent. The Bible says the kingdom of heaven suffereth. What? Violence. And the violent, the violent, not some passive, the violent. Take it by force. You got to be violent in this. You can't ever get passive because you get passive, sin and the devil and your old ways are going to sweep you away. You got to be violent when you come in. You got to have a certain fervency and violence about you. Number one, to enter into the kingdom because there's so much pulling you to try to stop you. So you got to be violent to come in to overcome anything that would try to hold you back. And then once you get in the kingdom, then you got to be violent in your living. you got to be violent to get in, and you got to be violent to grow. You will not grow without violence. You have got to have a fire in you and a violence in you to get in. And then to grow. So, when you come into the kingdom, you got to come in with violence. And you got the world, you got the devil, you got the flesh, you got family members, you got problems, you got struggles. You know, all these things. You have got to get violent. You know, and I'm not saying that that means, you know, you're going to run, hang off the walls every day. But there's a certain zeal in you. There's a certain 
patient continuance of seeking to glorify God and, and, and glory in your own life and honoring God by your life, not by profession only. See, it's easy to talk the talk, but can you walk the walk? And the only way that you can walk the walk is to get violent. So there's nothing in this Bible, absolutely nothing in this Bible that teaches this passive Laodicea, lukewarm Christianity. That is not in the Bible. This formalism, you sit down in the pew, dead as you can be. That is not in the Word of God. And this, what I'm preaching, is what offends the flesh. It, it, this is what offends the self-righteous man. This is what offends the religious man. This is what offends the man who tries to justify himself. He doesn't like what I'm saying. It is, this is what offends him. But you have got to get a fire underneath your seat. You've got to get a fire in you. You know why? I'll tell you. You watch what I'm talking about. On a Wednesday, you're trying to get to church. What happens? Problems. Why on Wednesday? You ever thought about it? Why not Monday, Tuesday, or Saturday? Wednesday. Almost every Wednesday. You mark it down. There's something that's going to come up. You're going to have to violently overcome to get in this house. On Sunday, you're trying to get to the house of the Lord, and you have hell in your house before you get to heaven. And you know what that is? It's because the devil is launching an attack against you to try to stop you and shut you down. You got to shake it off. You got to say, I'm not letting that stop me. I'm violent. I'm going to the house of the Lord. So, this that I'm talking about is something that we've got to get a hold of because there are so many people today that go to church and they profess to be Christians, but they're passive. You know why? Because they're really not born again believers. And they're really not righteous with God. Because if when you get right with God, you thought you had battle. You thought you had battle before you got right. And some of you came into the kingdom thinking, boy, I come into kingdom. It's going to be so easy. And it's going to be so passive. And, oh, peace is going to come to me, you know. And everything's going to be wonderful. Well, I got news for you. As soon as you come into the kingdom of God, all hell is launched against you. Before you came in the kingdom, the devil had you. He didn't have to fight you. He had you. But you come into the kingdom, you came in violently, and then you got to fight violently. you got to get a warrior mentality about you. And, and I thank God because I, I see a few of you that I haven't seen in a while, and I praise God for you. But the key, you know, somebody told me one time, he said, they call me. And this is before I was pastor, and a young man at church called me. He said, Pastor, he said, what? He didn't call me pastor. He said, he said, what is the key to making it? You know. I've been living for the Lord for a few years, you know, and he'd been in the church for a couple of years. What is the key of making it? You know, and I don't know what he thought I was going to tell him. You know, well, fast 40 days. Well, that, if you can do that, you're violent. <laughs> you know. Pray, 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 pray 24 hours a day, you know, constantly pray. And uh, all this, I could have told him that. But you know what I told him? I said, determination. 
You have got to get determined. You've got to make up your mind. Come hell, come high water, come persecution, come trouble. I'm going in. And there's nothing going to stop me. You've got to get a fire and a violence about you. There's nothing in this Bible that's passive. The prophets in the Old Testament were not passive. They were aggressive. So there's nothing that the modern day church as a whole tries to present as the gospel and the way to live for God. The modern day church, that's, it's not in the Bible. I'm just telling you. Okay? It's a profession and it's passive. And there's no fight and there's no violence involved and there's no warfare involved. And, and yeah, people that's, that, you know, that are in religion and want to be religious going to think you lost your mind. They're going to look at you. They're going to misinterpret you. They're going to think you're angry. They're going to think you're, you're crazy. But that's not what it does. We, we're in the kingdom. And friend, we're fighting hell. And we, we're, we're not just fighting hell. We're fighting sin. This is not easy, man. We had battle to get where we are today. We had to do some fighting to get where we are today. I said we had to fight to get where we are today. It wasn't easy. So you've got to have this patient continuance, seeking the glory and the honor of God in your life. You with me here? Third thing, he says, immortality and eternal life. So the third thing that's a, a sign of a true believer is their focus is immortality. Immortality. Eternal life. They're hereafter. You with me? Are you focused on eternity? Are you? Are you seeking immortality? Then if you are, if you've got these things in your life, these are signs because they're deeds of a true believer. So don't give me your little stuff. I don't mess, don't mess with me. <laughs> and and I don't, I'm not trying to be arrogant here. I'm just telling you, don't mess with me. And stop messing with the gospel and acting like you're okay and you're not obeying his word. You, you got to get in here. You got to, got to be a doer. Not just a hearer only, but you got to be a doer. Okay. Lord. Help me, Jesus. I thank God, Brother Andy told me, gave me a testimony. He didn't know I was going to share this. But the other day, he went to that power team thing, you know. And that power team thing, you know, at least the guy was honest. I heard him do an interview. He, at least he was honest. He said, God, you know, they asked him about God and, and all the stuff, the breaking of the bats and the tearing of, of books and things. And he said, well, he said, to be honest with you, God's not, it's, that's not God. That's about men. That's about people. We get people here by what we do, and then we can preach to them, all right? So at least he had that going for him, and he's sincere and he's honest. So I'm not trying to be disrespectful to the Jew or to anybody, okay? That's not my point. But after that, they got up there, and they called all these people up and said, all you got to do is just come accept Jesus as your personal Savior, and boom, you're on your way to heaven. And they are misleading hundreds of people. Never one time mentioned, you must be born again of the water and the Spirit. So just come up here and have a, just a confession, a profession. And you're on your way. You know what Brother Andy did? 
God rose up in him. It wasn't really Andy. God rose up in him and he went with those power team members. He said, you know what? You are misleading these people. He said, you need to tell them they must be born again of the water and the spirit. And he went to another man that you know and I know that's involved with, you know, was involved with this thing. And he told this man, and this man is a, he knows the truth, okay? And he went to him and he said, you know what? He said, y'all are misleading everybody out there by telling them just to come up here and have a public profession of faith. And you're on your way to glory. You have got to understand that that is a lie. You must be born again. And a mere profession of faith does not put you in a safe position. And that encouraged me that there's, a, there's somebody that will contend. There's somebody that will be violent. Somebody that will stand up for the truth in the midst of all of that, you know, that's accepted by the world. So I thank God when that passive religious person comes into the kingdom, and they're used to coming to church. And, you know, I remember Brother Jonathan. He, for a while, Brother Jonathan, come up here, Brother Jonathan. Stand on the platform. Come up, stand on the platform so everybody know who you're talking about. He was raised, you know, in a certain persuasion, religion. And he'd come to church. And he'd just sit there. And I'd, we'd just go berserk, you know, in here. And he'd just sit there all calm, cool, and collected. I said, I know that brother don't have that calm, cool, collected stuff in him. There's something else going to come out at some point, you know. And, you know, he, he had this, this all passive, you know, his eyes all passive, you know. And then something happened to that guy. I mean, yeah, you know, now you see him when he gets full of the Holy Ghost. He got, he got eyes, a flame of fire, you know. And there's, instead of sitting on the pew anymore, man, he, I'm worried about this platform, man. He's going to crater the whole thing, you know. <laughs> you know, go ahead, brother. So it's exciting to me to see people, you know, we're for you. We want you to make it. God wants you to make it. I'm not trying to push you away. I'm trying to violent you, bring you in here. At some point, you know, your old passive self, religious self, gets a fire in the eye. Gets violent, you know. Your husband looks at you and says, what happened to you? Your wife looks at you, what happened to you? I got converted. I don't just claim to be a believer, but I'm converted. There's been a conversion. And I love to see that transformation. You know, those old, those old quiet people, pew-setting people, after a while, man, they're sitting on the front row. They're going to pull the pulpit down off the platform, you know. <laughs> I want to take over the, the podium, just rip it right out of my hands and run around the church with it, you know. But see, that's a good thing because that's that continuance. That is that patience, that endurance or perseverance. An overcomer. The distinctions of an overcomer. The book of Revelation talks about. Seeking glory and seeking honor. Eternal life. Immortality. That's the sign of a true believer. Are you here today? And everybody in this church, whether you, you know, mentally accept this or not, every one of you in this church are hungry for this. Because religion don't do it. Passive formality, formalism doesn't cut it. You're looking for real. You're looking for a relationship. You're looking for the fire of God. You're looking for the power of God. You're looking for something that will change you. It will change your wife. Don't change you. You're looking for something to change your wife. 
Hallelujah. You went to church, nothing happened. Now you're looking for something real. And that's what we're talking about here. The Lord is showing the difference between what's real and what's not. What's religious and what's true of God. Do you understand? Now, if God judges by truth, that means I have to judge by truth. Which means I have to walk a lifestyle of seeking glory and honor and immortality. And the only way I can do that is by judging by truth. If God judges by truth, if I've got God in me, I'm going to judge by truth. I'm going to say, no, that's not right. Mm, I can't go there. I can't do that. I know it's tempting. I know it's, it's wanting me. It's wanting me bad. But I, no, I judge that in my life. I got to pull out my eye. I got to cut off my hand. Because that eye, that eye is going to take me to hell. That hand is going to take me to hell. I got to cut it off. I got to get radical. I got to get violent. Jesus said, if your eye offends you, pluck it out. It's better to go through life blind and have what? Immortality. Than to go through life whole and burn in hell. If your eyes offend you, you got problems. He, what do you say? He don't tell you literally pull your eye out. If your hand offends you, cut it off. It's better to go through life halt and maimed and have eternal life than to go through life whole and go to hell. What he's saying, you got to get violent with this. You got to take, you got to make drastic decisions. You got to take things out of your life that are causing you to fall. You got to pull your eye out. You got things that your hand want to grab a hold of, you know, that you know is wrong and sinful. Man, I got to deal with this. I got to take, that's hard. It's going to be hard to stop living where you are right now. It's going to be hard at times to give up certain things in this world, but you've got to get violent. And for all you theologians out there who want me to get real theologically here, I'm trying to be practical. I'm trying to tell you this is real, genuine crea- Christianity. Are you here? A pastor, if you only knew, man, it's going to be so hard. Well, man, you've been in that for years. You're going to have to cut it off. You, which, do you want Jesus? Or do you want that thing? That sin? That's where it is, man. Okay? There's nothing passive about this. <clears throat> Say continuance. Or are you going to make it to the end? And then he goes on, and he talks about the deeds of the unbeliever. I can't believe this. I thought I'd be through in 30 minutes. Then he talks about the deeds of the unbeliever. He said, this is the characteristics of somebody who is not justified. Somebody who is not righteous, this is what they're like. This is the lifestyle. Don't miss it. Simple. It's the simplicity of the gospel. It doesn't get more simple than what I'm telling you right here. He says, watch this. But unto them that are contentious, contentious, and do not obey the truth. A person who is not right with God is a contentious person and will not obey the truth. 
You with me here? They are going to be against God and the ways of God. They won't obey the truth. They're going to try to find an alternative way other than God's way, truth. You understand? They want their way is the point. Do you understand? Mm, This is amazing to me. Contentious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness. A contentious person literally is a selfish person. When you talk about contention, you're talking about selfishness. So the person who is, listen, who is not righteous with God or right standing with God, his lifestyle is one that is lived for self. Their whole life, whether it be a he or a she, is wrapped up in self. If my life today is wrapped up in myself, I'm not in right standing with God. Because if you are right, you seek to glorify Him with your life. You seek to honor Him with your life. And you're pushing for immortality, eternal life. If your life is just wrapped up in you, in self, that is the sign of an unbeliever. They live their life totally for self. And they might give God a little bit of their time. You with me? But what he's asking is not just for a little bit of your time. He's asking for every bit of you. He wants every bit of me. Can God come to you anytime he wants to and says, I want that. I want this. I want you. Can he ask you for anything? And would you be willing to give it to him? That is the sign of a true follower of Christ somebody's been born again because they're no longer just wrapped up in themselves a selfish life is a lonely life it's a miserable life it is a life that is doesn't bring fulfillment to it but that is the characteristics of somebody who's not a believer self selfishness Their goals are self. You know, sometimes we need to practically check this out and look at our lives and see how much time is spent for self and how much time is spent for God. And sometimes, get real practical, open your checkbook and see how much money you spend on self and how much money you spend on the kingdom of God. Get real practical with this. Do you understand? Hmm. Heavy stuff, isn't it? What occupies your life? When you leave Sunday morning from your church, is that it? You went to church, the rest of the week is live for self. You might even, might maybe make it back Sunday night, you know, because that's a little radical. I mean, going to church twice a day on a Sunday, that's radical stuff, you know. 
I mean, and then a Wednesday too, and then a Thursday women's prayer meeting, and then, then we might have something else going on, and your bus ministry on Saturday, and I mean, are you kidding me? You have lost your mind to think that I'm going to be at that church that much. Well, friend, you know what that demonstrates? Your priorities in life. That's what... That's what declares to everybody and your family and to yourself. This is what is important to me. This is what my life is about. And I'm telling you, you start doing that. You start getting the kingdom of God. You start living your life for God instead of self. Your family going to think you flipped. Your friends are going to think you are crazy. Up there at that church all the time. You live up there. What in the world's wrong with you? It's not what's wrong with them. It's what's right with them. They've laid down the self-life. And they've embraced Christ in their life. That's what it's about. They found true satisfaction. And true purpose of living. They got fed up in trying to find it in the world. That despair drove them to the Lord. They tried to find it in sex. They tried to find it in drugs. They tried to find it in all kinds of entertainment. They tried to find it. Tried to find it in religion. And they didn't find it. But they know they got God now. And their focus is the kingdom. You understand? Thank God. Thank God. See, I pastor a good church. I pastor, now you ain't arrived yet. I know that. I don't ever think you're there yet. You're not. And nor am I. But, but I believe that this is a biblically based church. I really believe that. And I praise God for you. Because it's not easy to come to a church like this. Because you don't get swallowed up in the crowd. You're going to come here. And, and, and God's going to call you into his kingdom. And he's going to call you into a life that is lived for him. Oh, yes. There's nothing like it. And I remember the testimony of a missionary. They had a service, a mission service one, one time. And they, and they were inviting and asking men and women to come and go on the mission field. Okay, you with me? Two different occasions. One of them invited everybody to come. You come and you can go to the missions field. If you will go, our missions board and the, our organization will support you when you get there. And we'll make sure you got food to eat and something to drink and a house to stay in. And all everything you need will be taken care of. Will you come and dedicate your life to missions? They opened up the opportunity for them to come. And only a few people walked down to the front. And said, I'll go. Another occasion, mission service, they stood up and they said, will you come and go to the missions? And if you do go, here's what we can promise you. Poverty, need, hunger, and possibly death. And they opened the altar. And hundreds of men and women came. See the difference is? Come on somebody. This life that I'm talking about dedicated to Christ is a 
No longer a self-centered thing. It is a Christ-honoring and glorifying work. When you start a work for the Lord, He may end up blessing you, but at the first, you don't know that. You don't have a promise of that. You may starve. You may get, you may not get your bills paid. You may go through warfare. You may go through persecution. And you may die. But you know what? You know why all those people showed up? Because that's what's real. That's what life is really all about. It's not being contentious. It's not being contentious. It's selfish. People are looking for a place where they can serve God. Are you here right now? You, know, you, you want to serve God? Come. Come. Come into the kingdom. Be born again. This whole place here right now is not for any man's glory or any selfish reason. The reason why we're here is to equip people for the work of ministry. If you want to come and be a part of something, you want to serve and you want to be busy for God, the door's wide open here. Because that's what this is about. This is not a one-man show. And I can't promise you it's going to be easy. I can promise you some warfare. I can promise you trouble in mind. I can, I can promise you sometimes great difficulty. But you know what, man? That's exciting. But that person out there in the world, you know, they walk around, they look like, they act like everything's wonderful and they're doing great. They got that mask on. And underneath is the misery. The misery of trying. To satisfy self. You can't get enough drugs. You can't get enough money. You can't get enough sex. You can't get enough entertainment. You just are not going to get enough. Only Jesus. I can't believe he mentioned the S word. <laughs> well, you ain't. Some of you say, I've never been in church like this. That's right. You're not supposed to be. Coming to something that's like everything else. Contentious. In, and so he goes on. And they do not obey the truth. Obedience is better than sacrifice. The sign of an unbeliever is they are not going to do what God tells them to do. There ain't nobody going to tell me what to do. I'm man, I'm mean myself, you know. I got myself through life. You are, you have no idea what you are saying. You are preaching your own message. You are saying what this verse says about you. you you're a self-made man or woman. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do it my way. Nobody going to tell me what to do. Okay. I don't care if it's in the Bible or not. With me? My denomination says this. I think this. You set yourself up against the word of God. <laughs> you, you fight lose a battle, man. You set yourself up against the word of God. It's like, look, it's, it's larger than a tornado coming towards you, man. You're going to stand there and look at that tornado and say, stop. He's going to roll right over you, man. You, you, uh, you tough. You tough. You talk a big talk. Don't obey the truth. The what? The truth. And the truth is not always easy. 
Come on. <laughs> Boy, I mean, you know. This is, this is, I just love this word, man. But what do they obey then if they don't obey truth? Unrighteousness. So you have a master today. And your master is who you serve. And if Jesus is your master, what he's saying is this. You no longer serve self, but you serve the Lord, your master. And the way that you prove that you belong to him is you obey that master. But if you are still serving the old man, the old Adam, the evil inclination, the fallen nature, then you will go after unrighteousness. You will live a life that is unholy. You will live a life of sinfulness. It's just that's the way it is. So self, people don't obey the truth, but they what? They, where's that verse? They obey unrighteousness. They live an unrighteous life. Now what is going to happen upon that person? Well, indignation and wrath. Not just the future wrath of God, the day of the Lord beyond the tribulation period. When he comes back and fights the battle of Armageddon, you know. That's not just that, that day of wrath he's talking about. He's talking about the set wrath of God now. A lifestyle that's lived for self. A lifestyle that doesn't obey the truth. A lifestyle that, is, that, is, that follows unrighteousness has the set judgment of God against it now. That, e that force of wrath is already against them. And what is that wrath? God lifting his hand slowly. He kept reaching. He kept convicting. He kept dealing with them. He kept showing them the truth. And they kept rejecting and rationalizing and going for religion. So he kept pulling his hand further and further away. God let them alone. Gave them up. Bible says better hope God don't leave you long God's good but he says what is against it then is again what indignation and wrath and when we talk about wrath again we're not you know thanks we are not talking about some emotional fit that God throws okay you know like like we do we have emotional fits <laughs> you know what I mean and I said, we. Uh, and, you know, we get heated up, and then all of a sudden the emotions calm down, right? Well, that's not the kind of wrath we're talking about. We're talking about God's set wrath against sin. His determined set wrath against sin, past, present, and future. Okay? What it is, it doesn't mean that God does not, there's, no, there's nothing to it. You know, it's like there's no anger. It's not like that. When you talk about the wrath of God here, this word, orge, O-R-G-E, it means a furious wrath. Okay? It's not an emotional outburst, but it is his set righteous attribute of fury against, against those things we just talked about. Self, contentious, not obeying the truth, and, and walking in unrighteousness. He is furious with that every day. He's, it doesn't matter. If it's in me or you, he's furious with it. Okay? And I mean, he'll throw a fit. But he gets angry. All right, you with me here? 
And ultimately the word wrath here means where mercy and grace has been totally exhausted. His mercy and grace is exhausted. And now all is left is the searing hot fury of God against sin. Don't let the enemy lie to you and tell you, oh God, he's just a God of love. He's never going to judge. He's just going to look over your sin because you know, you know who, you, you're somebody, you know. Hey friend, it doesn't matter if it's me or you. It doesn't matter. You need to understand. God is not partial. You understand? So his wrath is against that. And then the deeds here of these people. And then he talks about indignation. The word literally indignation literally means this. It means to breathe heavy. It's, it's as if this person were, was running after the enemy with anger and fury. And he's breathing hard and heavy to, to get that enemy and, and uh, destroy them. So when you talk about wrath, you're talking about his searing fury and anger against sin and indignation. He's running them down. He's running them down. Do you understand? He's breathing hard. Because that's the way he responds to these things of rejection and man's own rationale and man's own religion. Come on. And man's evil deeds. That is the way God automatically acts. It's a, it's a set thing in Him. Amen. See, when you talk about the judgment or indignation or the wrath of God, there's two ways He does that. Number one, wrath is located, the consequence of sin is His wrath. And then there's the divine intervention of God when He comes Himself and afflicts the wrath. You with me? Example. If you go out here and you get on a 20-story building and you jump off that building, there is a law connected to you jumping off that building. You'll be a pizza, you know. I'll... Pancake. Boom. Just, I mean, you know, all broken. That, that, I'm just being real with you, man. Okay. You know, a lot of people have tried it. I feel like I can fly. Yeah, they get up there and jump off. They can't fly. There's a law called gravity. And if you jump off the building, connected with the law of gravity is the consequence of death. So when you walk in, come on, you walk in selfishness, you walk in, you disobey the truth, you walk in unrighteousness, there is a law connected to that, and that is destruction. It is God's wrath, His fury. He's not throwing a fit. That's just His set way against it. And then there are times when He just He steps in, intervenes divinely, and afflicts His wrath. You understand? Either by lifting His hand or by cataclysmic events. With me here? Okay, God's good. So He runs this down with fury and anger and breathing hard. You ever get so angry, you just can't even get your breath? <laughs> that's the picture, man. It's not an emotional outburst with God, but that's still the way it is. It's still a reality here. He don't sit up there all passive, calm, cool, and collected. Send my rent to that one. No, I mean, he is angry. Boy, he's, he's in hot pursuit of that. You see? And then he goes on and he says, continuing, I'm almost through. 
And then he says, okay, yeah. Tribulation. Say tribulation. Tribulation, tribulation is pressure. So he says, wrath, indignation against that, the deeds of these unbelievers. And then he says, tribulation, pressure, anguish, persecution. That's just the way it is. You start living that lifestyle of self and disobedience to the word of the Lord and live the life of unrighteousness. You, got, you come under pressure, man. You come under anguish. And tribulation is at times said is something that comes on the believer and sometimes something that comes on the unbeliever. Tribu ultimately, tribulation, the Bible says, is when God crushes the grapes. In Revelation chapter 14, the battle of Armageddon, he crushes, he treads the winepress of the wrath of God Almighty. And that word is tribulation, the crusher of the grapes. And that's upon the unbeliever. And then he continues this. He says... Are y'all still awake? He says, tribulation and anguish upon, or distress, anguish, come on, upon every soul. Anguish, this word anguish here literally means confinement. It means to be put in a narrow place. It's like in a prison cell. It's like in solitary confinement. And eventually, God, what God is showing you, eventually, not just in the future, but now, confinement comes to your life. You get into, you, 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 you're experiencing the wrath and the fury, and you're experiencing the pressure and the anguish, and you're experiencing the confinement in your life that sin brings. And ultimately, if you continue in that lifestyle, you have the confinement of hell. A very narrow place of confinement where you can never get out. You're in hell and you can't get out. And demons torment you. And you're confined. You're separated from friends and family. And that's the confinement of damnation. So the Lord wants you to understand the difference between a true believer. That's why I'm telling you, without holiness of life, you can lay no claim to eternal life today. If you're not a doer, if this is not lived out in you, you, can, you might say you have it, but it's not real. I'm, I'm not bringing my own authority here in my own word. This is God's word. Okay? Upon, now watch. Tribulation, anguish. Upon every soul of man that doeth evil. Every soul of man that doeth evil. Is set wrath right then. You put yourself in opposition to God. Whew, you never knew, some of you never knew God that this was in the Bible. This is the Bible. You know? People treat sin like, oh, no big deal. Are you? You can't look at it that way. Sin is large. This is the way God looks at it. I said, God looks at it this way. How do we look at it? We accept it. We look over it. We contone it. We accept it, you know. That's not what God does. He gets righteously indignant against it. His fury comes against that. His confinement comes against that. His pressure comes against that. His anguish comes against that. That's the way God looks at it. 
And then he says, of the Jew first and also the Gentiles. To what? The Jew, his chosen elect people in the Old Testament are going to experience his wrath and indignation and tribulation and distress. His elect body of people. Yeah. Because they had the word, but they didn't obey it. Against the church, not the church, but those who profess to be the church. Not to the true Jew, but to those who profess to be Jews. It's a big difference between professing to be a Jew and being a true Jew and professing to be a part of church and being the true church. Are you with me here? <laughs> the one pastor. I remember this story, a pastor in California. Somebody asked him a question. Sent, they had some kind of question and answer service, and they sent the question up to the platform, and the pastor of this church opened the question up, and he read it. And the question was, Pastor, why are there so many hypocrites in the church? The pastor said, there are no hypocrites in the church. Everybody was going, no hypocrites in the church? That's right. There's no hypocrites in the true church. But in the professing body of people, yeah, there's hypocrites everywhere. But in the church, no hypocrites. There's no adulterers in the church. There's no fornicators in the church. There are people who come to that assembly, that place where the church gathers. Are we true believers? He said to the Jew first and also the Greek. And so a lot of people today say, well, the Jew's going to be saved because, wow, you know, he's in covenant with God in the Old Testament. He believes in God. But the thing is this, you can only be justified through Jesus Christ. You understand? He is the only way that you can be saved. You must be born again of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't, matter if you're, it doesn't matter what nationality you are of. See, it's like people today have got this two-covenant mentality that the Jew can be saved by one covenant or one way and the Gentiles are, can be saved another way. The Gentiles get saved through Jesus and the Jew can get saved apart from Jesus. That's a two-covenant. That's a lie from hell. You know what they've done? Is they've taken the Jew and taken him out of mankind. You cannot take the Jew out of mankind. He said to every man. Every man. And it doesn't matter what nationality you are. Hispanic. Bless your heart. I know you think you're saved. You think you're saved as soon as you came out of the womb, man. <laughs> Japanese, Chinese, whatever. Doesn't matter. Jew, nationality doesn't. They had advantages. They had privileges. They were God's chosen people according to election. But just because you're elected doesn't mean you're redeemed. Because, he's trying to show you, they're not separate and apart. God doesn't deal with them differently than the way he deals with all mankind. They're a part of mankind. I, I was talking to one person. I bought a book from a bookstore, you know. And they're really heavy into Jewish roots. And I know, that, I know what true Jewish roots mean. It's not like a lot of times the way it's presented. Okay. And I bought this book. And 
man, this thing went on and 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 it pretty much tried to justify the Jew outside of Jesus Christ. And I called that bookstore up and I said, are you telling me that you believe that the Jew is going to be saved outside of Jesus Christ? I said, that's what this book says and that's what you, you're, you're, you have in your library. He said, well, we don't have to worry about that, do we? I said, yes, so we do. He said, God's going to take care of all that, isn't he? I said, well, here's the problem. You are, you are selling literature that promotes that you can be saved separate and apart from Jesus Christ. And that's not what the Bible teaches. And you are trying to present Paul in that light. And that's not biblical. Are you here today? Because you can't take the Jew out of mankind. God deals with everybody the same way. They had more than we did. They had more opportunity than we did. But because they had more opportunity means greater judgment, not less. Just because you've heard it doesn't make you right. The fact that you've heard it, and if you haven't done anything about it, greater judgment rests upon you. Because the greater spiritual opportunity you have, not obeyed, brings the greater level of judgment. If, if, if I cease to continue, my, the hell that I will be in will be much greater than your hell. And if you end up in hell, your hell is going to be much greater than the person in the world. Because you sat here and you heard the word of God and you knew what was right and wrong and you refused to do it. So the greater judgment is what the Lord's showing you here. Doers of the word, not hearers only, are just with God. That's why I'm telling you, without holiness, you have no claim to eternal life. Now watch. Will y'all bear with me a little longer? Well, you're going to have to. Watch this. He says, For there is no respecter of persons with God. Next reason why he's going to judge Fifth reason, no partiality. He is not partial. I don't know what it is about us. We think, well, I'm a pretty good old guy. You know, you go judge your brother Randall over here, but you won't judge me, God. You know, I'm pretty cool. You, know, you like me. I know I'm a fool for Christ. I don't care what you think. See, but that's what we do. We look at each other. Oh, yeah, he go judge Randall, but he won't judge me, you know. You know, I can get away with what Randall can't. I can do it. Now, maybe nobody else is strong enough to handle it, but I can, you know. I can get away with it. I go to church. I go to Bible Center Fellowship. So what? I said, so what? Where is your life this morning? I don't care. Friend, I've preached to two. It doesn't matter to me. I'm not, I don't care about crowds. I care about the Word of God. I pre I've preached to two. I've preached to hundreds. It doesn't make any difference to me. Because this is the Word of God. And you need to ask yourself, they say, are you, have you got smug thinking you can get away with things? And you're strong enough to let things in your life? Mm. Now watch this. He said... 
for there is no respect or persons with God. The word respect or partiality, there's no partiality with God. You know what the word partial means? To receive a face. It literally means to receive a face. So if I'm partial, then what I do is I look at the face of the person. And I, I'm not, you know, I deal on a different balance with them. I deal differently with them because of who they are. Their prestige, maybe. Their position in life. Their wealth in life. Their, maybe their looks or whatever. I, uh, I'm partial to receive a face. You'll find out that God is not partial. He don't play favorites. He doesn't receive the face. Doesn't matter how much money they got. Doesn't matter how much money they don't have. It, you with me? It doesn't matter how pretty they are, how ugly they are, <laughs> how skinny they are, how heavy they are. Don't make it to God. He does not care about that stuff. That it doesn't matter if they're to, to God. He doesn't care if you got education, you got degrees, you got so many degrees, you don't have enough walls to put your plaques on. God cares nothing about that because He's not partial. He doesn't receive you by your face. He don't care if I got a suit on. You know. He doesn't care how you came to church this morning. He doesn't receive me better because I got a suit and tie on than, than you. You know, if you didn't wear a suit, it doesn't make any difference to God. You might have come in here barefooted. God is not partial. His judgment is based on an impartiality. He doesn't receive the face. But you know what? That's what people do, right, brother? Greg, these days, boy, they won't bring their positions and their who they are, you know, and all of that stuff right into church and have sway and all of that. Come on. God's not into that, man. He deals with people in truth and in righteousness, and there is no favoritism. Zero favoritism. You know, and if I'm a man of God, then I should walk that way, too. Is that correct? If you're a man and woman of God, then you should walk that way true, too, you know. And there are some people who are testifying here, you know, you thought you, that you were my favorite. <laughs> and you thought, man, I, maybe I can get away with it. Nobody else can, but I can until I called you in my office and you saw. <laughs> I don't play favorites. I don't play favorites. Because God doesn't play favorites. He judges righteously. Amen? Amen. So that's the way we should be. Amen. You can't bribe him. You can't pay him off. <laughs> hmm. You know, there's a lot of people say, boy, I want to go to a church where they preach the truth. And they walk in this one. They say, boy, that's a little bit more truth than I need. <laughs> that's a little bit more truth than I'm looking for, man. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, don't you? How many of you go to a church that's fired up, praising God? Ooh, that's a bit more fired up than all I'm looking for. <laughs> you know what I'm saying, right? But God is not partial. See, the same mercy and love that He's extended to me or anybody else in this church, He's extending to you. God is not exclusive. He is not trying to exclude anybody. Whosoever will. It doesn't matter if you're a little baby or if you're an old man or an old woman. It doesn't make a difference. It doesn't matter your social position. He is not partial. 
What he did for me, he'll do for you. Amen. I'm thankful for it. So then I can't receive the face, can I? Come on. You know, are you with me here? Boy, I just got an unction on me this morning. And it's really still early, so I'm doing okay. But I don't know what it is about men and women in our thinking that we think, okay, one wrong. All right, now, hmm, I've got leverage, you know, because, you know, I've got leverage because something's been done wrong to me, you know. One thing, I've got leverage. Now, I've got influence. I've got, they're going to receive me different. They, you know what I'm saying? Are you, are you funny? You might as well pack your bags. You understand? Just because we made a mistake with you one time in your life doesn't, make, doesn't mean that you got leverage against anything here. Are, do you understand what I am saying? We're talking about the word of the Lord. We're talking about righteousness. We're not talking about partiality. Or, oh boy, you know, I did something real good in the church, man. They need to blow the trumpet. Why don't they recognize me? You know what I'm saying? I'm important. I'm a big shot. <laughs> you know what a big shot is? A little squirt under pressure. You're nothing but a little squirt under pressure. You're a big shot. God is not partial. He'll, look at the prophets in the Old Testament. And you need to be that in your spirit. I'm not saying you're called to that office, but you need to be that in your spirit. They walk up in front of kings and not partial and tell them, you're in sin. Not intimidated by those world leaders. You know, they could walk up. Brother Andy said he walked up there to that big old, yeah, you know, look like me. <laughs> <laughs> he walked up there and he just told him this, this, you need to be preaching this this is the Bible that big old guy you know I'm sure who you are you little squirt nah he didn't look at him that way but see impartiality not partial doesn't matter how big your muscles are how little your muscles are it's not God listen to me and get it clear everybody gets in the kingdom the same way and the same holiness that is required of you and me is the same holiness that is required to anybody that's in church all over Odessa, Texas. Just because you make a denom denominational change does not mean that you have lifted the requirement of God off of you. Because the same holiness that we preach to you is required to everybody. I don't care what you call yourself, it's still required. Because God is not partial. And that's the way it has to be if it's the truth. If it's the truth. Just because it's not preached in those other houses at times. Doesn't mean that the requirement is not necessary. I'd tell anybody. I'd tell a Baptist. You, you, if you're a woman, you need to stop cutting your hair. You need to start wearing. Oh, I'm fixing to lose them now. I'm feeling them in my spirit. Come on. You need to stop cutting your hair. You need to wear dresses. You need to act like a woman and look like a woman and talk like a woman. Get in your place. And, and man, you need to stop letting your hair grow long. You need to, you know what I'm talking about. 
You need to be a man. You need to supply for your house. You need to provide for your house. You need to, to be a spiritual leader in your house. All that goes, it doesn't matter what church you're going to. That's the Bible, my friend. Now, if you come in here and, you know, you, we're not saying you're going to straighten up overnight. But with time, when, the word, when you start hearing the Word of God, you're going to have to either obey the Word or go your own way. Because it's not my doctrine. It's His. Now, I'm not trying to make anybody mad or run anybody off. You have no idea how patient God is. You have no idea how long-suffering God is. You mean we walked in one of those kind of churches? Yeah. You walked right in the middle of an apostolic Pentecostal holiness church. But God has great patience and great long-suffering. First thing, you got to get born into the kingdom. And then once you get born, then you got to be violent to grow. And we don't condemn you, and we don't point you out. We don't say, hey, you know, we don't walk up to you. You get born again and say, hey, why ain't you, you know. We're not doing that. We're going to preach the Word of God to you. We're going to show you what the Bible says. Then you got to make the decision. Right? you got to make the decision. Hallelujah. I can't make you live for God. I can't make you go to this church. You don't even have to stay here. You can go somewhere else if you want to. Serious, I'm being honest with you. Nobody making you go here. Everybody here came their free will on their own free will. Do you understand? Under the, the leading of the Spirit of God and the Word of God going forth. Praise the Lord. Now, if you run off and you're in rebellion, you run off, you'll be in rebellion over there. It doesn't matter where you go. You just, you're going to just carry it with you. You're like a dog with ticks. You just go wherever you go. The tick going to be with you. <laughs> you know? Hallelujah. Man, what makes you think you go to another place? All the ticks fall off you. No, no. You still got your tick. You still got your flea. Then they, the problem is they start jumping off on all the other dogs. I mean, all other sheep that are there. You know? Man, we got to get rid of excuses. And we got to get back to the Word. No respect of persons with God. He does not receive the face. He's not partial. For as many as have sinned without law shall also perish without law. He's going back to the first chapter. Those Gentiles, not the Jew, but the Gentile. Those who have sinned without law shall perish without law and as many as have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law you know what he's saying ultimately he's saying it doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile your lost condition you're lost because you're not in Christ did you hear that and just because you don't have the Bible doesn't mean that you're all free you had creation now let me show you okay watch this for not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. Uh-oh, here we go. we got a problem. Not with the word, but with understanding. Because a lot of people read that verse and say, Okay, now, I can be right with God if I keep the law. But what does keep the law mean? Huh? Are you hearing me? When, Jesus, when God has already showed us that justification and righteousness only comes by faith, 
So then how, you, how could you possibly be saved by good works keeping the, 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 the law? Okay? How could you be justified by keeping the law if you can only be justified by faith? So being a doer of the law doesn't mean that you got your Bible out and started in the book of Genesis in the first five books of the Bible. You with me? And read those first five books and tried to keep every rule. Okay? And each day you went down the list and said, okay, I kept that one, kept that one, kept that one, kept that one, kept that one. Okay, yeah, oh, boy, I'm doing great. Man, I've kept every one of these. That's not what he's talking about. To keep the law, only the doers of the law are justified. To be a doer of the law means this. The law's purpose is to take you to Christ. It is the schoolmaster to lead you to Christ. The purpose of the law, the law condemns you. So to keep the law, you're saying the law condemns me. I can't keep it. I can't obey all of it. So I've got to repent. I've got to repent. I've got to say, Lord, I have sinned against you. And I've got to run to Christ. That's how you keep the law. That's how you are a doer of the law. It's not by going by down their list of rules and checking them off. It's by saying, I couldn't keep them. I repent. I run to the Lord. You find out your utter helplessness and utter hopelessness without Jesus when you read that law. Is to drive you to a place of living by faith. That's the only way justification ever came. By faith. Never came by the works of the law. The law was only used by God to drive you into despair. So you would, you would truly keep it. And you would truly be a doer of it. And that's repent. And that's embrace the sacrifice. Do you understand? Yeah, yeah. Now you understand, don't you? He goes on. Now watch. Will y'all stay with me a little longer? For not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. Yeah, man. (laughs) Well, let's just say that, you know, if there were a possibility that you could keep every command of God, never sin with your mind. Oh. Always do what's right. Never do anything wrong. And have every thought completely under control. Where you never even sin with your mind or your tongue. Ooh, I just lost it. If I didn't lose you with your mind, I lost. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I lost you with your tongue. The point is... Nobody. Because the law is an x-ray that shows you the problem. But an x-ray machine never brought the cure. And the law is the x-ray machine on your life that shows you the problem. And that's sin. You need a Savior and you need to repent. You need to be born again. You need a nature change. That was the purpose of the law. Never was it given to redeem people. It was given to a redeemed people. Israel came out under the blood and then the law was given to them to drive them into walk with, with God in faith. Not never to redeem them. Never. Do you understand? 
So, oh man, I feel good all over. The Lord's helping me do this this morning. You understand? For when the Gentiles, which are, have not the law, okay, here we go. Doers of the law will be justified. And then here comes this, this little question. What do you mean doers of the law? The Gentiles, you just said Gentiles didn't have the law. So how could they be doers of the law then if they didn't have the law? Watch. And if it's, if it's the right deeds of a person, come on, that makes a person right with God, then what about the Gentiles who don't even have the law? They don't even know what to do to please God. They don't know how to please God. Watch this. Paul is going to answer this, this question that he had because really this is just his testimony of his own life. Question. Now watch. If they didn't have the word of God, the covenants, the law of Moses, what about those people then? Well, again, it goes back to being a true doer of the law. Repenting and by faith embracing the finished work of the cross and being born again. Right? Watch this. Now, he's going to explain. With the Gentiles which have not the law or the Torah, the instruction of God, do by nature the things contained in the law, these having not the law, are a law unto themselves. Well, the fact is, the Jews and the Gentiles both need God. They both need to be justified by faith is the point. The Jew who has the Bible under arm needs to be justified by faith in Jesus Christ. And the Gentile who didn't have the Bible under the arm, didn't even know what God required, still has to be justified by faith. And what he's saying is they might not have had the Bible, but they were a law unto themselves. Now look at this. Look at the law courts. The judges and law courts, they distinguish right from wrong. Right? Well, I doubt if most of those judges got up and, and went to the Bible to find out how to judge it. it. They have law books and things. They're a law unto themselves. What, which means this. That even if you didn't have the Bible. You would still know that certain things are wrong. And certain things are right. Amen, amen. Look, at the, look at Cyrus in the Old Testament. He, he had a certain amount of right about him. Allowed the Jews to go back to their land. Even pagan rulers. You know. So you're without excuse, even if you didn't have the Bible this morning, you're still without excuse. Because you know your law. You know that you lose your court of law, that they judge right and wrong. You got it? With me here? Now watch. Which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts, say conscience, Conscience is, is co-knowledge. That's what the word means, co-knowledge. And what it means is this, is that there's something inside a man that gives him a knowledge of right and wrong. Conscience. God put a conscience in everybody, whether you be a Jew with a Bible under your arm or somebody that didn't have a Bible. You still had a conscience, co-knowledge, that this was right and this was wrong. And you know what? When you did what was wrong, and didn't do what was right you stand condemned before God even though you didn't have the Bible 
You understand? Conscience. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Lord, I'm almost through. I promise you. Just bear with me. Be violent. (laughs) Conscience. You can't always go by your conscience. And you can't always go by what you think is right and wrong. Because, and the reason is, is because your conscience, you have rejected it at times. You said no to what was right at times. You said yes to what was wrong at times. And after a while, your conscience becomes seared with a hot iron. So that you don't have the ability just to, to determine right and wrong just by that, um, that knowledge of right and wrong inside. Do you understand? See, just because you know what's right and wrong doesn't mean you're going to do it. Come on, amen. Right? Amen. Just because you have a knowledge of right and wrong doesn't mean you're going to do it. Your conscience can be seared with hot iron. Do you know in, in Africa, they, they have this very strange practice that if they thought a tribe in Africa, literally, they would do this. If they thought that you were guilty of a crime, you know, and you kept saying, you denied it and you denied it. And I don't know, I didn't do it, you know. And they felt, though, that you were guilty of a crime. You know what they'd do? They would bring you in front of the tribe. And they would make you open your mouth and stick your tongue out. And they would place a knife in, in the fire, heat that knife up. And they would place that knife on the tongue. Now, if that person was not guilty, it was their lie detector's test. If that person was not guilty, as soon as that hot knife hit the tongue, it would just sizzle and very little pain would accompany it. But if that person was guilty, as soon as that knife hit the tongue, it scorched the tongue and extreme pain hit their body. Because they knew, linked to the conscience of man, if you were guilty, your conscience would dry your tongue. If you were innocent, your tongue would not be dry. So I'm trying to tell you in Africa, people that, that might not even have the Bible have a conscience, right and wrong. And they had a, their own lie detectors test, man. <laughs> we need to do that. <laughs> did you do it? No, Pastor, I promise you I did, I did, I did, I did. Get the knife in the fire, man. <laughs> did that hurt? Where'd the sizzle go, you know? A conscience, man. Okay. The Bible goes on. See, are you with me today? And their thoughts, the meanwhile, accusing or else excusing one another. And the next thing, their thoughts. They're contemplating. Always thinking. You ever been there? Oh, your mind's always talking to you about right and wrong all the time. Your thoughts. You're contemplating all the time. Oh, should I? Hmm, that's not right. This is right. All the time. And you were like that before you ever got born again. And you were like that before you ever read your Bible. But you had a conscience. You knew the law. You know what I'm saying? Of the land. Your thoughts. You, are you here? <laughs> yeah. So he's, he's, he's not saying now the Gentiles can be excused because they didn't have the Bible. He's saying they had creation, they had their conscience, they had their thoughts, they had the law under themselves that governed their lives, but they still didn't keep it. It's good stuff, isn't it? 
Now watch. Here we go. For when the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, these having not the law, are a law unto themselves, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, their thoughts the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another. So what he's saying is this, that even without the Bible, a man would know his need for a Savior. And that despair would drive him into the arms of a Savior. If he didn't know it, he'd pray and, and seek God. Show me who he is. Do you understand this? Do you know? I mean, it's, it's amazing what people know by nature. You, you go, maybe not in America, but you go over in the foreign field. In the area like China. Those people, they are Buddhist. They are pagans. Okay? Unless they're in the church. Worshiping idols. Involved in ancestor worship. They're not right with God. But you know what? They are led by a law in themselves and a conscience. They are some of the most humble people. In relating to each other. and relating to even foreigners. They have hospitality about them. Where do they learn that? Most of them don't even know anything about the Bible. But you see, God put it in man. You with me? When he created man in his own image, he put these things in man. And these things will drive man to Jesus. Unless he what? He rejects it. He rejects what Christian says. He rejects what his conscience says. He rejects what that law says. Okay? So, even the Gentile is without excuse. Now, here we go. I'm closing. In the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. He is getting to the point here where he shows the whole world in need. All stand condemned that all might receive what? Mercy. And can be justified by how? Faith. The Jew with the law is saved the same way the Gentile without the law or the instruction of God is saved. Amen? Amen. Number six, motive for judgment or reason for judgment. In the day when God shall judge the secrets of men, say secrets of men, by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. He's going to judge the secrets of men. Not just... The actions, but the motive. The motive. See, we are to serve the Lord with our whole being. Mind, soul, and spirit. So you can go out, and you can have even, you know, external actions, but your motives be wrong. Do you know that God is so, He, he is such an awesome God that He will let things in the Bible. He, he will pronounce a judgment on one person. And then let another person who's done a similar thing off. Why does God do that? Because God does not just look at the outward sin. He looks at the motivation of the heart. David committed a sin worthy of death. Adultery and murder. And that was worthy of death under the Old Testament law. 
But you know what David did? He went beyond his dispensation. Into your dispensation. And laid on the mercy of Jesus Christ. And because of that, David was not put to death. But a man on the Sabbath day walks out and picks up sticks. In your mind, a lesser crime. And they take him out and they kill him. You know what it is? What the difference is? Because God doesn't just look at the action. He looks at the spirit. He looks at the spirit. And even though David committed the action, David, his heart was still for God. His heart, he was a worshiper and a praiser and a pursuer after God. And he repented of that sin. And his spirit wasn't one of self-justification and rebellion. His spirit was right. You understand? That man just picking up sticks on a Sabbath day. Breaks the Sabbath day code. And they stone him to death. You know why? Because there was something in the heart of rebellion against the word of God. He didn't just, come on. He didn't just go out there and say, by accident, I need a fire today. That's not what it was. They would have never stoned that man if his motive was, I just need a fire today. That man knew what he was doing. He knew clearly what God's word said. And in rebellion and defiance against that command, he went and picked those stones up like this. What are they going to do now? They put him under a pile of rocks. And David David went free and didn't die. So I'm trying to show you that God doesn't just judge the actions of a person. He even judge our motives. Our motives will be judged. Why do I do what I do? Why do I sing in church? Why do I preach in church? Why do I do what I do? God judges even the motive behind it. So that you might flop and you might flop bad in church. But if your heart is one, I'm repenting. And your, your heart is one of godly sorrow. And your heart is one, I want God, man. I'm a mess. I've missed it bad. And I need God. And you're broken. And you're contrite. You might be worthy of death. But the Lord will show you mercy. Because He judges your spirit. But you might have done something just so minute and not really that big of a deal, you know, in your mind. And the hammer come down on you. And you wonder why. Because you've got a spirit of rebellion. You justify what you're doing. You're saying, it's right. I don't care what you say. Boy, you do that in the face of God. you got some problems on your hand. Because he doesn't just look at the action. He looks at the spirit. So on judgment day, he's even going to judge the secrets of men's hearts. He's going to judge every thought you ever had. So we need Jesus. We need a Savior. Holiness of life is mandatory if you claim to have eternal life. Being a doer is mandatory. And the way you do it is this. The way you keep the law and obey the law is this. When you break it, you run to Jesus with a broken and a contrite heart and you repent. And you get right. And you don't try to justify. And you don't try to rationalize. And you don't try to get all religious on us. You know. On God. 
He slammed the door. I say, slam the door, man. You understand? But run to him. Bow to him. Repent. Say, Jesus, I need you to forgive me. You died for this, Lord. I don't want to do this. I hate this sin. I judge it in myself to be wrong. My thinking's wrong. My attitude's wrong. My actions are wrong. When you come to God like that, you know what he does? He doesn't cast you out. He that cometh to him, he will in no wise cast out. If you come to Jesus and you get real, you don't, you know, you don't play games. You get real. You lay it down. This is the way it is. You know what? He's there. He's there to forgive you. He's there to fill you with his spirit. Put you in a right relationship with him. And from that place, then you live a life of good works. Because of who you are. Amen. When you got married, that little covenant paper that you signed and you entered, you said, I do, I do, you know? When you got married, you became man and wife. Her cooking all that food for you didn't make, you know, when she cooks for you and washes your dirty underwear for you and cleans your house for you and takes care of your kids for you, that don't make her your wife. She does that because that's a responsibility that comes with the covenant. What if she just said, okay, see ya. I got married to you. I'm your wife, but I'm out of here and I'm going to go do what I want to do. You know what I'm saying? I'm going to go sleep around. Is that a true wife? What if a husband does that? They say, okay, I got married. I got a wife. He goes out. He does, do his own, does his own thing and sleeps around on her. And doesn't provide for her and fulfill the terms of the covenant. Come on, are you with me here today? What you do didn't cause you to become husband and wife. The actions, the cleaning of the house, the cooking, or whatever, that didn't cause you to become husband and wife. But because you are husband and wife, I demand you to be faithful. I demand you to abide by the terms of the covenant. And if you come short, then we have to repent we have to change some things i've got to change there's things i got to change do you understand but the things i change in my lifestyle didn't make me a husband to my wife but because i am a husband to my wife i'm faithful to her come on that's what god is saying if you're really in covenant with him there will be a lifestyle that demonstrates i'm married are you here now, if you, and, and I'm going to let you go, I promise you. But if you get married, you know what? You stand up here, and you become husband and wife, and you might slide a ring on the finger, you know? Hey, we're a husband and wife. See, look, 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 look. That don't mean nothing. That circle, that little thing on you, that don't mean nothing. It doesn't mean a thing. What you said right here, you with me here? If you're really husband and wife, you don't even have to have the ring. I don't have a ring. My wife or myself, neither one of us have ever had a wedding ring. You with me? If it, if little, I don't care if you do. Lord, help me now. But I'm telling you that a little ring on your finger is not going to keep you from committing adultery. 
It's a commitment to that woman and commitment to that husband. It's a commitment to that covenant. Do you understand? And so because I am who I am, then I'm going to live like I am. (laughs) And if I'm not living like I am, then at some point it will be recognized as broken. Now in closing, and I promise you this is the last tenth and final close. What else you got to do today? Oh, you're taking all my time. You're so funny. I just preached two hours about this and you're ready to go home. See, a lot of people think, well, God, He won't judge because He's such a loving, heavenly Father. Well, let me close on giving you an illustration. Throughout Roman history, there have been Roman emperors who had sons. And those sons tried to overthrow the Roman government. And that Roman emperor had them executed right in front of him. You know what happened? Father got swallowed up in judgment. So if you're, if you're running around and you think, okay, well, God's a good, loving, heavenly Father. I won't be judged. At some point, the loving, heavenly Father attribute of God is swallowed up in the judge role. And He becomes the executor and the judge instead of the loving, heavenly Father. And if a Roman emperor will execute his sons being a father but the father will swallow up in the judge row you can mark it down that's exactly what's going to happen with God the role of father will be swallowed up into the role of judge someday so there goes the excuse God won't judge me do you understand that's why we have got to as the people of God even after being born again we've got to walk in circums- we've got to walk circumspectly always on the guard Fighting the good fight of faith. Violently entering into the kingdom of God. And violently growing into the kingdom of God. Never getting passive. Because a lifestyle that is redemption that is not reflected in holiness is no lifestyle that can claim eternal life. It's the truth. And some of you are like, oh, I feel so condemned now, Pastor. Well, that's your problem. I came to church today, Pastor. I wanted you to make me feel good. I've been really suffering, really hurting so bad, God. But I just wanted you to minister to me, Pastor. I was ready to cry this morning. I just wanted you to minister to me, Pastor. And you come in here and you give me such a straight word. So, oh. I can, look, I've been in this long enough. I read people's faces, too. <laughs> You know, I mean, I don't know what it is. Some of y'all think if you can just look miserable enough, I'm going to change my message. <laughs> but I'm, <laughs> might as well forget it, man. You can sit there. You can be making faces at me. You know, all kinds of, like you're dying. Hallelujah. I, you know what I'm going to do if you do that to me? I'm going to praise the Lord. I'm going to say, God, it's killing that old nature, man. I just, thank you, Lord. God, you're killing it, man. You're your emptiness of us, man. Oh, it's painful. Oh, Lord. That pastor, he just loves to use that sword, man. <laughs> For the new ones here, you know what they used to call me? The decapitator. <laughs> and I have Bible for that, man. 
take that head off. Because that's the only way that you can get in the holy place, you take the head off. And so I got, I got all kinds of commemorative items back there, swords and papers that, that authenticate that I am a decapitator. So, if, you know, if you still got your head today, I didn't do my job. <laughs> yeah, but I love you a lot. I'm so glad you came today. And I pray that you walk in the word of the Lord. Because that, this is really what it's all about. And someday all of us, including this pastor, is going to stand before God. My judgment will be greater than yours, though. Let's stand. Lord Jesus, I thank you today, Lord God, for this awesome, awesome word. Thank you for the truth from the inspired lips of the Apostle Paul. Mighty God, he has challenged my life. Thank you for the truth, for it's the truth that makes me free. And I pray for everybody that has come to the house today to hear your word. That you'll place in their life this truth. This truth would drive them into your arms. This truth, oh God, would let them understand that you are not exclusive. That this is not just for some kind of elite group. But Lord, you're reaching out to all nations and all peoples everywhere. Bringing them into the kingdom through the finished work of Jesus Christ. That is our hope, Lord. And that is what we cling to in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You are dismissed.